Welcome to the Officer Media Group Roll Call Podcast. Officer Roll Call is meant to inform and entertain. Now, let's get into this episode. Welcome to the lineup. This is Officer Magazine's weekly podcast that looks at the a little bit at the headlines in this week's news in law enforcement and policing. My name is Joe Vince, assistant editor with Officer Magazine, and with me today is someone new to the podcast. Hey, so this is Paul Peluso. I'm the editor of Officer Magazine, and Frank's out this week, so you're stuck with me. <laughs> well, even in Frank's absence, we'll be uh, we'll be looking at uh, some of the stories that uh, were appearing on uh, Officer.com this week. Uh, starting out, um, Wednesday started uh, began the first day of a new rule in Florida that prohibited government agencies from buying and using drones from uh, any company with uh, that uh, originated in a foreign country of concern. That pretty much put on the shelf and grounded many uh, departments, um, Chinese manufactured drones. Um, in fact, um, over the years, uh, Florida departments have spent roughly $200 million in Chinese manufactured drones. And departments are, are understandably concerned um, that this new tool that has been coming increasing use um, for police is now um, off the table in a lot of cases, or many uh, of the departments now have to either think of reinvesting in new equipment or are, are just limited in maybe only having a handful of uh, acceptable um drones to use uh paul this is the state you live in um what, what what can you tell us a little bit about this yeah so i i do live in uh florida i'm just outside of tampa here and yeah a lot of the departments here have purchased some of these drones um so it's uh the the biggest one is the jing uh innovations or known as dji uh over the years is have drones and uh, gain more popularity in public safety and in law enforcement. DJI has been one of the leaders. Um, a survey from, what was that, 2021, um, showed that DJI had about 90% of the market. And so they are Chinese-based, and that has been a concern for a while now. And not only do they hold 90% of the market, but that same survey showed that Autel uh, Robotics, uh, which is also headquartered in China, was that number two position so you definitely have an issue there where a lot of these departments already have those dji uh, drones and now they're being told they can no longer use them and i know joe, joe as i looked at, into this closer uh so they that the bill itself was introduced in 2020 it was passed in 2021 um but it went into effect at the beginning of this year and um and while it began this year, they basically gave departments until this week, like you said, Wednesday, um, before they would start enforcing the rule itself. Um, so they they included approved list uh, that includes Skydio, uh, Parrot, um, and I think it, the, this one is uh, Brandon's pronounced Altavian. Uh, it was acquired by Fleer in 2020, and then also Teal Drones and Vantage Robotics and. Um, you know, I've heard of Skydio a lot, a um, little bit about Parrot, but these other ones aren't as big. 
in the industry. And I, I think that's something that they're really going to look at is, is that, you know, DJI has that big market share. Can they make sure that not only can these departments, you know, purchase these drones, get a hold of them, but they also, you know, fulfill all their needs um, set or set within the standards that need, they need them to run. So I think that's a, a, a really big issue there, Joe. And I, what, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I, I think uh, when you and I were talking about this the other day, you made it an interesting comparison. It, 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 it gets to be the equivalent of telling a department, you, you can't use Glock for your service weapons. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, in, in reading the story on this, um, I had seen the departments. Some departments were saying that even among the uh, approved list of, of drones, that they had issues that the DJI um, drones did not uh, mechanical issues, and um, in some cases, uh, a, a few departments had expressed concerns that it, it wasn't just that. Oh, this is you know, this is equipment that's not working. They had, were worried that this is equipment that could put officers at risk. And I think in one case, it was described as literally having these drones drop out of the sky. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, I, I'm curious to see if, um, if there becomes any exceptions for law enforcement um, or if um, Florida lawmakers go back and kind of, and, and look at this and, and see um, if there are ways to um, to work around this for for police departments, because I mean, as as you know, too, it's just the dr drones are. are um, they're not a novelty piece of equipment anymore. Um, they are, they're becoming a, essential um, for a lot of departments because of, of how versatile they are in, in what they can be used for. And um, in some cases they can, you know, they're able to get where, where officers cannot. Um, they're also able to go in riskier situations that maybe officers cannot. Um, so it's uh you know it's a shame if those if that tool is taken off the table uh for departments well yeah so you look at it uh last thing i'll add here is that mm -hmm. the Broward county sheriff's office had to shelve uh it's 63 dga drones um all 31 of collier county's uh sheriff's office's drones um were shelved and you think you know that the fort myers was is within collier county and and the hurricane and Drones can do a lot when it comes to surveying areas and being up there to, you know, look, look at the damage and look at things that need to be done um, when it comes to search and rescue and whatnot. And then also the Orange County Sheriff's Office shelved 19 of its 25 drones. So that is, you know, they, they have these devices that they can use and now they're being told they can't use them. You would wish that there was a better plan in place before this went into an effect or maybe more of a grace period. I think that they had the middle of last year or towards the end of last year to have like a plan in place, but it sounds like a lot of these uh, departments are kind of in a tough spot now. Yeah. Um, moving on to the, to our next story um, this week, the um, some of the uh, officers who respond, Nashville officers who responded to the school shooting 
um, last week um, spoke in spoke publicly for the first time. Um, they talked about their experience um, uh, getting to the school and then um, uh, shooting and killing uh, Audrey Hale, uh, the shooter who uh, killed uh, three children and three adults um, at Covenant School. Um, that one of the officers um, talked about how he really shouldn't have been there to begin with because the school isn't in his patrol area. He had been at, he went to headquarters actually to do administrative work and that this happened. And, and the way he put it is he's like, just call it fate, you know, um, that he was put in that place. And um, I believe he's one of the officers um, who had opened fire and fatally shot uh, Audrey Hale. Um, but it, it, we talked about this last week and, 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 and again, now this week is, I, it's really interesting how, um, quickly and I guess transparently, um, uh, Nashville police department has been with, uh, releasing the, um, school security camera videos as well as the body camera videos um from the shooting as and then also making the officers available um this quickly after such a uh tragic and massive event national uh event um and, and i i i, I want to point that out uh, especially in the wake of of uh, of other incidents like this that um it, you know, I, I think the public looks at that and um, takes note of it. Yeah, and, you know, it could be you know, very difficult for officers following, you know, traumatic events such as this one. And I mean, hopefully, hopefully it has helped in a way to be able to be out there and talk about it openly instead of being told, you know, we have to do the, you know, wait for the investigations. We have to go through all the stuff before we have you guys talk. Um so yeah, it has been refreshing to see them to be available to talk about it. And uh, one thing I did want to point point out is um, so that was Rex Engelbert uh, said that one of the officers on the scene who spoke said that they had never worked uh, together before. Uh, he had never worked with the other officers that were there with them, but just credited the training uh, for allowing them to to respond and and stop hail um, before more people were uh, killed or wounded and that just goes to show that just the training that goes in to you know what the training that goes into it for officers tactical training um really does help and, and that's why you know that has to be continued to be hammered home when it comes to responding to incidents such as this one yeah that um that is a good point i mean to not have worked with these officers before to be thrown into the situation and uh, be able to um, use I, I muscle memory and and, yeah. and their training to be able to do this. Um, yeah, the one thing we talked about earlier, too, was um, uh, that Frank and I had talked about is uh, the way um, the one of the administrators at the school was was there um, able to give um, the officers keys. And we talked about uh, that administrators training and and just as a whole, the professionalism of the police department, um, because I, I do think that comes through, especially the public um, and 
that they respond off of that, that um, it, it, it helps them. And um, I, I think that's what we've been we've been seeing is um, is per, that per, that professionalism coming through in the aftermath as well. Um, I, and again, I'm I'm looking at this from the outside. Um, you know, you sometimes worry when departments are really quick to start throwing information out. Um, but this seems to kind of be the the Goldilocks uh, syndrome, being right in the middle, uh, just yeah. you know, not too uh, hot, uh, not too cold, um, just right. And um, that it doesn't seem it doesn't seem reckless, and like we'll just throw out everything right away. But it's like as we get it, yes, we're you know we're going to tell you what happened, and um, I, I really think. Um, Speaking on a national level, I, I think that is that has helped, um, and I, I can only imagine that's helped um, the community of, of of Nashville too. Um, next topic. Um, last week, uh, Minneapolis lawmakers approved um, sweeping changes um, for the police department. This is. Um, a, I guess the last step in some ways um, in the aftermath of George Floyd, um, hopefully as a way for um, both the community and the department to be able to move forward after that. Um, you know, this has been now years um, in the in the the making and the planning, and now it's it's finally um, been approved. Um, Paul, tell me a little bit about kind of uh, what you saw with this. Well, yeah. So, so these um, what is a hundred and forty-four page settlement agreement that um, <laughs> that that they uh, the Minneapolis City Council approved, like you said last week, last Friday. And so, basically, some examples of what's in here: officers will no longer be allowed to pull over a driver for mechanical issues like a broken tail light. Uh, well. No longer be able to pull a driver driver over solely for mechanical issues like a broken taillight. That the smell of marijuana won't be enough to justify stop and frisk, and officers will have to have a duty to intervene if they see a fellow officer breaking the rules. And if they fail to do so, they could be disciplined as severely as severely as that first officer. So, you know, you, you see these you know agreements in place um, after incidents like this to happen. Um, I know. You know, in Baltimore with Freddie Gray, um, a, a lot of these same types of things, um, you know, incidents in, in New York City, um, you have a lot of new policies that come out. I, I think uh, a little bit different in this case is that I don't believe there's been heavy federal involvement from the DOJ. They've kind of uh, taken care of it themselves within the city itself. Um and and you haven't gotten to that point with a lot of that uh, federal oversight that a lot of those other cities have to deal with, and that may be some of this proactiveness. Like, like you said, it it's been about what three years, yeah, three years now um, or so uh, since the incident occurred. Um, but that's actually when it comes to these things, it's kind of you know quick when it comes to passing these new policies and having all the you know the the local legislation uh go through um so yeah i i don't think that there's 
you know, while this does hinder police in some ways, I, I don't think there's anything, you know, earth shattering about some of these policy changes. Um, and as I mentioned to you uh, off this call before, uh, Joe, that so the whole defund the police movement, it it definitely, you know, everything's kind of gone back to close to what it was before all that. Um, you know, you saw a, a quick upstart on people calling for, uh, you know, for even stricter policies on police and less funding. Um, but but that really hasn't been the case. So I, I think you know, this was kind of expected. And um, like I said, while, while it does hinder some of what police can do, um, you know, you see a lot of similar policies out there. Yeah. And um, it, it is. um you wonder how much of it is uh, proactive that they don't necessarily – Minneapolis doesn't want to be in a situation like the Chicago Police Department with its consent decree or or recently with Patterson and um, the attorney general taking over um, – the uh, the New Jersey Attorney General taking over that uh, department, um, and um, I, you mentioned it. With it is it in the timeline of these types of things. It, it, it this has been pretty fast moving. At the same time, those three years, um, I I think it, there's a there's a sort of um, I would imagine a, a cooling off period for um, the public in a lot of cases and um, assessing what they need and what they want out of their police department. Um, you talked about the, you know, the defund the police um, movement pretty much stalling um, fairly shortly afterwards with communities really just maybe initially kind of embracing it. But when, when the rubber met the road, they wanted a a they want a, a strong police department, um, and and I, I think I think that's what public what communities really want is a a a, a strong, um, fair minded police department, and um, you know, and I think that's something you know everyone can get behind. Um, next story. Uh, late March, uh, the southern United States were were hit was hit with uh, tremendous uh, storms and tornadoes. Uh, one community in particular was Rolling Fork, uh, Alabama, or Mississippi, and in that case, an EF four tornado ripped through the town. I believe it only uh, a population of, of around two thousand, and devastated it um, as as well as destroyed its police department. Um, in that time, uh, the department has been in kind of two roles: one, helping the community and the agency itself rebuild, but also continue to protect the town. Um, and uh, it, it, it's been it's been nice to see too that um, law enforcement from around the state and, and the region have been have been uh, getting together to to help out this department, which uh, very small, but it, it is still 
being there for the the residents um of the town and um if you've looked at the pictures i mean just it just it looks i i know it's a cliche to say but it looks like a bomb went off just uh, wreckage everywhere and only about half of the facade of um the police department was left standing um just um just devastating yeah, I believe the yeah, the tornado killed with 21 people in Mississippi. And in like you said, the destruction, the police chief um uh Michael Myers uh from from Rolling Fork, uh his house itself was destroyed. So not only was the police department, but his house, you know, came down around him um during this. And yeah, it, it looks like they're they're getting some local help, uh probably some state help. And they have a mobile command center that they have to, to get up and back up and running. But yeah, this one quote from him here uh, from the local TV station, he said that today was better than yesterday and yesterday was a little better than the day before that. And it's going to be a long precipice, but we're going to make it work. It's just you know, the the road back from from things, you know, natural disasters like that and tornadoes. It's not. You know, it's not like a hurricane. It's not like a huge blizzard or something. It doesn't have a build. It just happens. And then it's gone uh, j just like that. And it, it's definitely something. Yeah, it's it's just sad to see things like that happen and they have to work through it. And I'm sure it, this isn't uh, a secret to the people who listen to this podcast. But when natural disasters hit towns like this, um, it it's not like the firefighters and the police officers are, are, are their their homes are protected and that they're okay so they can they can keep doing their jobs in those cases they're having to um even if their department is still standing they're still having to juggle keeping their family safe um keeping you know maybe having to deal with uh, damage to their homes or losing their homes too. And in, in these cases, these officers, uh, these firefighters are still doing their jobs and still helping um, the residents, their neighbors uh, get through this as well. And, and in a lot of cases, putting those people uh, ahead of, of whatever might be going on um, with them, uh, as far as dealing with this natural disaster and, and I, I you know I, I don't think that can be that should be overlooked too is just um i mean that's you've that's gotta just weigh on you if you've gotta you know you know you have a a, a duty to to for your job that you're doing but at the same time you you know you want to make sure your family is all right and and you you know you 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 have your own concerns and worries but it in a lot of these cases, those they're able to compartmentalize and 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 take care of the job at hand, and and that's something to that should really be commended. Um, next story, uh, back to Florida again, Paul. It, it, it's been a yeah. Florida week. Um, <laughs> is, so a proposal out of Broward County um, is uh, the commissioners there, the county commissioners are looking at possibly um, helping the families of uh, fallen police officers and uh, firefighters uh, by uh, providing uh, rent, mortgage, and and or property tax um, payments for a year. Um, it, it's a 
very specific proposal, um, but it, uh, it it looks to kind of it, to, to help these families um, in just the 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 sort of the making sure they they're not worried about where they have to live after after suffering a, a tragedy of um, uh, of uh, a father of a of a spouse um, losing his or her life in the line of duty. Um, we were thinking, we were talking, Polly, we were trying to think if, they, if um, we have heard this from, uh, you know, other places ar around the country. And, and I, I don't know that I, that either of us had heard of anything um, specific like this. Well, I'm sure that there's some, you know, municipalities and counties out there that do do similar things, or maybe it's been in place for a while. Um, but I, I definitely think that this is, you know, a, a good step, especially if they can get the money to the families for thing. Like we said, it's 12 months worth of mortgage, rent, or property tax payments uh, for the family, and in that, if they could get get it to them right away, because you know the state, there's state benefits, there's federal benefits. But those can take a while. Sometimes it can take months or more than months sometimes to, to actually get to these families and to have that peace of mind and know that you have your mortgage covered for 12 months until those other payments can come in. Um, the help is is huge. Yeah, and and again, in any um any help that 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 can you know, eliminate a concern for a, a family that is going through a, a tragedy like this. Well, while, while they're having to process that, it is huge. Last story, uh, and in the short time the the lineup has been going, we we're, we try to end on on um, a bit of a lighter note. Um, this this story might uh, pose more questions than it answers but um it appears that uh, police in uh Carroll Township had an interesting vehicle and, and foot chase um they began pursuing um a a uh, school bus that had been reported stolen um when uh the suspect had uh fled in the the bus from police finally decided to get out jumped out as he's fleeing officers in this in a shopping center parking lot um he's also disrobing and gets off all of his clothes get he's taken in custody officers then go to look at the school bus and find that also inside the bus is a dead deer which the man had said Brought in, to the, he picked up and put into the bus because he thought it would make good fertilizer for his garden at home. Um, I, I'm really not sure where to start. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, so many questions. Here, so, yeah, <laughs> the first one that always popped that had popped that popped up is where did the where does the deer fit in this timeline? And just to kind of go over is apparently um, the man had been. I want to make sure I got this right. Um, Let's see. Uh, he had stolen the bus earlier in the day after he crashed a BMW, um, which 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 happens. Um, and <laughs> just, just another day. Yeah, just another day. And then it's the story doesn't. Um, it's not apparent to how. It's not clear how the the deer 
popped into all of this, you know, was he just driving along and he, he just noticed on the side of the road thought I, you know, here, I've got this bus. There's going to be no better time. If, if I, I know if I needed to pick up a dead deer for my garden, I, I would want to have a bus because it's got a lot of carrying capacity. So, um, well, I know I, Joe, I, I, I had mentioned that uh, some of our colleagues were discussing this story yes. and kind of equated it to Tommy boy. I don't know if any of our listeners remember the, um, David Spade, Chris Farley movie, Tommy Boy. But yeah, they, they encounter a deer. They have the deer that they're transporting in the car. I believe it was a convertible, right? Yes. And and the deer wasn't dead. It wakes up and you know destroys the whole thing. So I guess at least that didn't happen for this guy that the deer goes on a rampage inside this bus while he's driving it. And I, I did like the part of the story where they first observed the bus driving in a parking lot of a grocery store. And the lights were just like turning on and off <laughs> repeatedly. Yeah, it's um, again, I think sometimes you just. It doesn't maybe the motive, the whole that's that's not really uh, you just have to accept that it happened and kind of move on. <laughs> so uh, that is all for us today. Thank you very much, Paul, for filling in for Frank. Hey, this was great. Excellent. And uh, hope everyone is back uh, next week for the next episode of the lineup. Thanks. And stay safe. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the lineup. Please remember the opinions voiced are not those of Officer Media Group or Endeavor Business Media, but only those speaking those opinions themselves. Thank you and stay safe.